Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and I'm joined this time in China by Samuel Luckhurst. Yes. How good, have you found how have you found it? So it's, we've it's, had a day now in China, haven't we? We have. Almost? We have. And uh, it is the, the smog can be overwhelming at first and it is it is very hot, but Shanghai is pretty spectacular in yeah. the evening. Um, especially from the vantage point we had read last night. Yeah, I'm not it's sure the listeners will care dazzling. too much about our rooftop no. bar, which revolves. No, but, no, uh, no. Uh, th- th- they'll be switching off right now, I'd imagine. But it's uh, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting venue for United to to come to after the um, I think the disaster of, of three years ago when they were majorly undercooked and got tonked by Borussia Dortmund, but doing a much better. You know, the conditioning of the players is so much better now. Um, the, the preseason is going well. And I think I'm in. I'm in danger of actually looking forward to the the friendly on on Thursday. And that Tottenham apparently looked quite handy the other night against Juventus. So hopefully, despite the humidity out here and and how um, inhibited that can be, hopefully it will be a, a pretty good contest because United have been playing at a good tempo and obviously Tottenham are renowned for playing at um, have, having intense players and, and playing at a similarly high tempo. Yeah, as well. bodes well. Like you said, the header first, and that's when we will get onto maybe later in the podcast because United have made it three wins from three. Last time we were in Singapore, United had a very, uh, very good support at the National Stadium in Singapore. It's probably about 95% of the 52,000, I think, yeah. attendants were all United. Yeah. And it was the best atmosphere we've had during pre season. United won 1 0, courtesy of a goal from Mason Greenwood. But um, United started the game with a very strong 11, didn't they? And it almost seems like Solskjaer's. I mean, you'll probably make a few changes after the Inter game, but you're starting to sort of settle on the side for that, those opening days of the season. What, what did you make United against Inter? They the most comfortable side throughout, really, weren't they? They were. They were very dominant. Um, I think on in terms of the whole settled aspect, it looks like he's decided on probably eight or nine mm. players who are going to start against Chelsea um, on August the 11th. But in terms of the actual performance against Inter and, and the performances they've had on tour, they have got gradually better they've become slicker quicker and in, in fairness although it's not ideal coming all the way out here and I think they're travelling 5,000 miles more than any other Premier League side the way they've picked the opponents has been quite it, it looks strategic whether it was by um, whether it was per, on purpose or by accident do they get a say who they play in the ICC or is it just... I, th- I think so yeah. yeah I think it is arranged but you've gone from an A-League side to a Championship side to a Champions League side to in Tottenham Champions League runners-up so it's it's a good gradual progression um, in terms of uh, building up your fitness and building up your telepathy uh, you know working on the, the whole tactical side of things as well against Inter they, they were a lot better Inter aren't as fit they don't have a striker, as, as Antonio Conte is not tired of mentioning to anyone who, who care to listen to him about that. But you're still coming up against a, a team with pretty good pedigree, and they probably should have won by by a greater margin. But even even though I think it was at the hour mark or just after, then they Sociedad made wholesale changes, ten off, ten in, and um, it didn't really didn't really blanch the performance because a lot of players came on like Chong, uh, Greenwood and, and Pereira who did really, really well. Greenwood's starting to dominate the tour. Uh, I mean, m- my piece from it was pretty much focused on one bissaka and then Greenwood pops up and, and scores and had to make that slight, <laughs> slight adjustment there. But in, in those two on the right-hand side, it's a very, very exciting combination to have those two. Um, with with Pong, Pogba as the conduit again, he he played very well. Yeah, 
Yeah, we'll get onto that. It's one of the questions we'll have later on. Is who's been your best player of the tour so far? So you can think over that one. But yeah, more on Mason Greenwood. It was the first game on the tour which he's not started as well, and maybe it was a bit of a new challenge for him when he came on. And it almost seemed like the game has got Peter out to a draw at some point. Um, but Mason Greenwood, the moment of magic. Solskjaer said before the game that he's both footed. What did he do? Take it down on his right, pass the defender on his left foot to the far yeah. corner. And it's the type of goal no one else at United would really score, would they? And it's maybe so encouraging that this player, who's been confident at the youth levels and a player that we've always said, yeah, you can do it in the academy, but can you do it in the first team? He's stepped up to the mark remarkably. And as you said before, Solskjaer's maybe got eight or nine starters for the Chelsea game. He might have to rethink about his Mason Greenwood decision and put him back into the starting lineup now. You just hope he carries this form into competitive games because the kid's a prodigy he's he's exceptional uh, we've seen it at youth level for a couple of years um, academy enthusiasts longer than that but he really should be in at, le- at the very least in that squad against Chelsea um, in, in just over two weeks time I think what was quite what struck me about the goal was that as soon as the ball came to him you just knew what he was going to do and it wasn't a surprise at all that he scored it. And then, I mean, we didn't have we didn't have monitors in the stadium, but I think it was up on the big screen, so we were able to manage to catch it on there. And it was when you looked at the replay how actually difficult it was because there were so many bodies between him and and the goal, and it must the, the ball must have gone and passed passed about three or four um, into players, including the goalkeeper. But he makes, um, I mean, it wasn't an easy chance, but he made it look easy. And he's beating a quality keeper in, in Handanovic there. I know Handanovic was kind of culpable for it because he shouldn't have punched the ball away, but he, he'd been playing very well up until then and he'd thwarted quite a few United players. But Greenwood's just, he's a joy to watch. Um, certainly one of the highlights for me last season covering United was that Youth Cup game against Chelsea at Lee where he scored a hat-trick and you just thought this this kid needs to be fast-tracked now. And I think he probably should have had a start sooner than the last day of the season against Cardiff. But he seems to be making up um, for for not quite being fast-tracked sooner on, on this pre-season. He's been exceptional. Um, he can play... I mean, I think at the moment you'd probably say play him on the right because yeah. he, him and Wan-Bissaka popped down that side. That, that has the makings of a very, very threatening combination, even in Premier League football. But he is a goal scorer by trade. Um, I think I think the left is probably somewhere you wouldn't really consider him for the time being. Just a relief, isn't it? Considering yeah, how much is given given how top heavy that that side is, or how lopsided the United attack can be. And just just observing him, he's it's it's interesting to see. I mean, Solskjaer made the com- comparison with Ryan Giggs after the game and. We were at the uh, hotel, this rooftop, um, the, the, the day after the Inter game, yeah. and Greenwood was there, De Gea, Luke Shaw, and uh, Diego Dallo. We spoke to Shaw, and some of the Singaporean reporters managed to managed to speak with De Gea. But Greenwood, the, I think the the female compare realised when she was doing this very brief innocuous Q and A, she mentioned Greenwood about him scoring. Mm-hmm. And there was kind of like she was waiting for him to reply, but then it dawned on her, ah, he's he's off limits, he doesn't speak. And that was what United did with Giggs. They they protected him. And I can understand that. The flip side of it is that he's so unfazed about playing in front of 50,000 people. I don't think he'd be phased about asking, sorry, answering a couple of questions about how how well he's doing. But that that protective nature, that, that has been... Um, a facet of United in the past and 
it has served them well. So I can completely understand why they're doing it with Greenwood. And um, I mean, he asked he asked the press officer questions. We were waiting to to interview Shaw. That was kind of like a reminder. Ah, oh, he is seventeen. I mean, his stature, his physique. He's he has filled out very very quickly, and he looks robust enough to handle yeah. Premier League football. There's nothing lightweight about him there. But it's I suppose there are times when when you do open your mouth, when you do speak, people remember how young you are. Um, although he's not been quite as embarrassing as Aaron Wan-Bissaka on that front when it comes to not answering questions. Yeah, whereas when, while you were with Luke Shaw, we had the pleasures of the Adidas event in Singapore Key, and there was, a, there was three sort of sections set out. We had the, for the local press for written and broadcasting. You had Mata and Wan-Bissaka doing rounds, and Wan-Bissaka... We, we spoke to him in the mix zone after the uh, the foot... The Perth game. It was the Perth game, yeah. The first, the first game. game, and he was quite quite shy in that one, which you'd expect. And like I said, he, he's only had one year of senior football, so you expect him maybe not to be quite media trained. And I guess uh, maybe a cosier club like Crystal Palace, you can just say to the press officer, "I don't really want to talk. Let me just do my football." But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how United sort of handle him. Maybe. Well, the, the Singaporean newspaper hammered uh, actually him. Yeah. hammered him for it for not answering questions and. It's He's, difficult, isn't it? Because you don't know if that's a player who... I mean, I mean, we don't really know. It's not sure if it is a player who is just nervous and doesn't really like talking. Or someone is like, maybe if I don't really excel in it now, I'm going to have to do much of it more going forward. So, From, from a cynical, journalistic perspective, yeah. it, it's going to help him a, an awful lot if he does talk later yeah. down the line. But we're not holding that against him. He has been excellent on this And whole. I guess right now, he just wants to be playing football. Yeah, yeah. No, Nobody's... Nobody's got an axe to grind with him or anything like that. I'm sure there are people thinking, oh, he's he's going to get hammered by journalists now, but it's not been the case at all. I think, if anything, um, he's he's had uh, you know pure positivity from well, from the Manchester Evening News anyway. Yeah, and particularly, as you said before, because that performance against Inter Milan, because that was a fantastic right-back performance. Him. We saw lots of those spider tackles that he's, uh, that he's made sort of his trademark. Um, <clears throat> I guess it's weird, isn't it? Because Wan-Bissaka's, like I said, his trademark is these these slide tackles that are like recovery slide tackles because maybe he's out of position in the first place but he's got the pace and the technique to to make up for it how how do you view that sort of playing style do you see that as something as like like do you see it as a positive that he's so good at sliding tackles or a negative that he has to resort to when, when I saw during the Inter game I didn't think it was a case that he was out of position there was, was one, only one there was only half. one in the second half where he gave the ball yeah. away and then as soon as I can't remember the Inter player who was running away with the ball but Wan-Bissaka just it was, it was like Watching um, an Olympian sprinter going up against a marathon runner, yeah. like he caught up with him in no time, and it was a slime tackle. I think it, it's like it's like someone playing FIFA who doesn't like conservative tackles. Yeah. They always so going for a slime tackle. I think he just likes doing yeah. it, and he's got the skill set to do it. I mean, they talk about the go-go gadget legs or <laughs> Sp- Spider Man, whatever you know. And I mean the what was quite striking about it was just how much the Singaporean supporters loved it they did they did I know it was sometimes exaggerated when you say the crowd celebrated it as though it were a goal but they, they genuinely stood up did stood on their feet and gave them a standing ovation and yeah. then started singing just Bissaka Bissaka yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. They, um, they 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 loved him uh, they, they really did take him uh, to heart straight away and I think it possibly did contribute to the booing of Young in that for some reason even though Young was playing at left back and obviously Wan-Bissaka is the right back, when the announcer yeah. was going through the changes, they said Aaron Wan-Bissaka is coming off to be replaced by Ashley Young. And it was almost as if the disappointment of the supporters manifested itself to bring out something that was 
just just something quite pathetic really yeah. it, it did blemish Solskjaer was a spot that after the game wasn't he was yeah and he could have he could have been stronger about it but it's it's not really his style but as I said it was it, it was pathetic the the support out in Singapore was otherwise excellent there was great enthusiasm so far, it? I mean yeah. it's a different sort of level of it isn't it yeah, it's, it's a bit it's, more full on it's and... very different you you get your um, Mexican waves uh, there, there was there were half and half shirts there was a Viking clap yeah. These are things you do not want to see at a, at a football game, but there are people in the press box celebrating the goals. Yeah, it's it's a different it's a different culture. I mean, no doubt when we go to the press conference um, ahead of the Tottenham game, there will be people wearing replica shirts yeah. in there as well. Um, it's different territories of, of different approaches to um, to these things, but it, it was a pity that the support blemished um, the, their their support for, for United by, by booing Young because it was just it was just utterly needless and uncalled for and, and one of the most ridiculous things was he's been really good on tour for Ashley he's been alright yeah. I've been really impressed yeah. with him I think he's as I said at the time he signed his contract I thought it was deserved you can't just discard all these uh players from the past who have and the thing is he's actually welcome. a leader isn't he in the dressing room he's one of the people who speaks yeah, he's, out he's, he's, got, seem he's to... got a presence in the dressing room he, he, he's useful at set pieces he's a squad player that's that's what he should be the problem is in recent years he's been a first teamer and he's a winger who's been playing at fullback and it's just kind of highlighted the deficiencies in United's thinking United's approach be it in the transfer market be it in how they handle their squad it's not his fault, he, he does give his all. Sometimes it is his fault, like against Barcelona when he's trying to do a Cruyff turn against Lionel Messi. Um, but that doesn't but excuse... Imagine if he pulled it off. Yeah, but it, it doesn't excuse yeah. the vile abuse. Exactly. He's, just, he's just a And, and the, the abuse he gets from these fans, inverted commas, are probably the same fans who think Paul Pogba's um, a Teflon and, and should never be criticised, but that's the way it goes. Yeah, um... So we spoke about Greenwood, we spoke about Wan-Bissaka. Uh, Daniel James also played maybe a mixed game against Inter Milan again. He, he played in that Leeds game. He's still a bit maybe maybe iffy. Promising again against Inter, but some missed opportunities in front of goalie. He sensed maybe he might be the one who drops out of that 11 if Greenwood was to come in. P- possibly. Um, You'd get, it's get a strange one. Left, I, I, I think I could still see James getting in on the left because Marshall's mainly been playing as a centre-forward and... I don't think anyone's got any doubt that Rashford will start the season there. Um, against Inter, he did look like a championship winger, and it's just as well pre-season is pre-season, and there is only so much yeah. you can glean from the games. Uh, his enthusiasm is great. I think United, their, their pressing um, has been enhanced by having him because he's so energetic, he's so selfless, he gets yeah. up and down the flank. Um, and... Going back to that Inter game, there were a couple of stages where when Handanovic had a goal kick, the four United attackers, James, Marshall, Rashford and Lingard, were on the edge of his yeah. area, which kind of underlined the statement of intent then that they want to press as aggressively as possible. They're not going to be able to keep that up throughout the whole season because it's just going to knack them out. But there are times to, to do it, there are times not to do it. I think Liverpool have managed it very well over the last year and that they've not been as intense and they've become a bit savvier. I think it was Mourinho who pointed out in the Champions League final, their midfield three were just completely detached from the front three. And it helped in terms of their in-game management against Tottenham and also neutering Spurs as well. But 
with with James, he's a cost efficient addition, and he's only cost cost United fifteen million pounds. But he he has got an awful lot of competition there, whether it's on the left, whether it's on the right, because they can always look to an alternative on the right, even though there's not a specialist there. So if he isn't playing well, if they don't think he's quite up to speed for a big Premier League opener against Chelsea, then you've got a Marshall as an alternative. You've got Chong as an alternative, who's done very well from the left. Sanchez is, is probably a, an outside shout, given that he's not particularly wanted at the club and has been at the Copa America. But there are replacements there who have got a skill set and, and who, frankly, are better players than James as well. Yeah, um, I guess the positive on Don James is all the aspects he's maybe struggling are ones that only improve with more game time anyway, aren't they? Sort of getting into the rhythm of, of the way the team sets up. But uh, there's a lot of attention on Romelu Lukaku, of course, for the intergame. We saw he missed training. Well, he, was, he didn't take part in the training session the day before he sat on the bench. Um, sort he's taken part in a commercial event today. Yeah, which was interesting <laughs> to see. We'll come on to that. Um, before the game, Solskjaer was asked about him. He just said he's not fit and he subsequently sort of ignored the the question about his future Conte was asked about him and said he's a very good player who would improve that could sport. be an important player yeah. as well so uh, Romelu Lukaku he was also seen as well walking through the mix zone with a intershirt in his hand I think about what he won I also saw him speak to some of the well the the three Italian journalists that were at the press also spoke to him and he said he just held his hand up and was like I don't want to get I don't want to get pictured yeah. talking to you guys because that's just going <laughs> to take it to a whole other level but uh, Lukaku every podcast you've got to mention haven't you where he said he'd have news for us last week, yeah, and he he's not didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it is it is becoming quite tedious and very protracted. I think Inter's problem they've they've had that fifty more fifty four million pound bid rejected, but they do not have the funds um, yeah. to, to sign him at the moment that that United would accept. United if United were offered seventy seventy five million pounds, I think they'd just take it, even uh, taking into account the fact that Everton are entitled to. Five million pounds of any transfer fee. I think this whole prospect of United holding out for eighty million pounds. I mean, just to make a profit. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't think they'd be that fussed about that if push came to shove. But the problem is, Inter have got to sell to buy him, and obviously Conte wants shot of Icardi. Um, some of the Italian journalists in, in Singapore were suggesting Icardi was waiting for Juventus, which sounds quite peculiar, really, given what. A, brilliant squad and a brilliant attack they already have but if they can shift Icardi if they can shift Golan, then they have got the funds to, to go for Lukaku there but there, there's been talk of United maybe because United have said they would would get a replacement for Lukaku yeah. and given the, the time we're talking at the moment there's 16 days until the Premier League deadline um, Inter have their own deadline effectively uh, to, to sign Lukaku purely because I think United would be very reluctant to sell most of their players, most of the players who could possibly go anyway after the Premier League deadline. I think there are certain players they'd make an exception for, like Matteo right. Darmian, yeah, Marcus Rojo, absolutely, um, Phil Jones yeah, as exactly. well. One one of the defenders, Chelsea's already intimated they'd have to sell a defender if they did sign a centre back. So it has, I mean, even though it's still rumbling on with Lukaku and there have been little details, nothing has really moved on other than Inter have had a bid rejected that was always going to be rejected. So it's it's pretty quiet. I mean, going on the commercial event he was at this morning, I was, I was led to believe that these kit 
kit photos of United players posing in their new kits and Lukaku hasn't been posing in them. That has been deliberate. The fact that he's now at a commercial event, it does make you wonder, are United expecting him to stay? Are they not expecting mm. much more from Inter? But these these things change so quickly and there's so many nuances involved with transfers and dealings that it can, as I said, it can just change, turn on its head overnight. Yeah, like you said, Sosnes always said they do want to to replace Lukaku if he was to leave. Do you actually think they would buy some more? Do you think it might just be clever trickery by the manager? We were talking about this last night, weren't we? And I think the the term red herring was used and it wouldn't surprise me if they were to sell Lukaku and say his replacement is Mason Greenwood. And I think that that could be crowd-pleasing enough because Greenwood is a brilliant enough young player. But ultimately, Lukaku has been United's... uh, top attacking goal scorer in the last two seasons he's probably still their most reliable goal scorer uh, despite Rashford looking good recently Uh, and and Greenwood coming on leaps and bounds so you do need to offset the loss of that and when Ibrahimovic got injured United knew they needed a striker and they went with Lukaku I know things have changed and it's all about having more more multifunctional yeah. forwards who can play across the front line but there are times when you just need a reliable goal scorer and I know Lukaku isn't playing the role he wants at United and he does feel marginalised by Solskjaer it was quite telling that Conte used the word important to describe yeah. what Lukaku could represent for Inter because that's exactly the same word Lukaku's people have used to, to describe what he's not felt as under Solskjaer he's not felt important I think he started 15 out of 29 games on the Solskjaer. So I could still see him having a role at United. I could still see him going to winter. It's just one of those things that have rumbled on for months and months and months. And I think this time next week, we could still be expecting it to rumble on into the last week of the Premier League window. That's a teaser towards next week's podcast, isn't there? I think expect another <laughs> Lukaku chat in which we might not actually get to the bottom of it. But uh, yeah, we shall see what happens with Lukaku. And it'll be interesting, of course, we've got... Uh, Social's press conference tomorrow. It'll be interesting to see what the, what's the latest is with Lukaku because maybe if he is back in his commercial activities, he might become fit. Is again. he fit? Yeah. yeah. Who, yeah. who knows? We will see. But yeah, seems like a nice time to get onto the match against Spurs. You've already mentioned that it should be maybe the toughest opponents United will face. Spurs, of course, beat Juventus three two at the National Stadium of Singapore just the night after United beat Inter. Um, humidity is going to pay a play a big part but there were a few concerns maybe last week that the pitch could be a, could be a difficult situation as we're recording this it's a nice sunny day in yeah. Shanghai um, seems like it maybe I've not it, checked the weather forecast uh, but I looks think like after... it's meant to be a bit, bit wet but it doesn't seem like I mean it's got, this has got to be like that, that BBC weather report isn't it where they said there's no way there's going to be a storm oh Michael Fish Michael saying Fish, that's yeah it. that's right and, and then, then of course there was the uh, was it a hurricane yeah the, the, the great storm of 87 yeah. absolutely um, I think there's just there's there's always that um, fear from our perspective uh, pers- for me personally as well having been in Beijing three years ago going <laughs> there for a game that never took place because there was fungi on fungi on the pitch and there'd been downpours and your whole your whole (laughs) kind of like image of Beijing is just completely shattered having seen how spectacular it looked at the Olympics in 2008 you get to the place and it's like one of these towns that Lyle Lanley has gone through before (laughs) he ended up in Springfield to introduce the the monorail so um, fortunately they're 
they're playing at a different Shanghai Stadium to uh, to a few years ago because that that was not that was not great either. I imagine it will be fine. I think that yeah. sometimes these these stories can be described as scare stories. And, yeah, I mean United have sent, but they've sent their groundsmen out here to, to check, check on, on it. it. They've had weekly reports. For yeah. the last six months. So or they've they've so. they've clearly been keeping on top of it, which is the right thing to do. <laughs> but then particularly the, after Beijing, they're the concerns about the pitch in Perth. They're concerns about the pitch in Singapore. Yeah. Both, I think I think when you're in this when you're in this part of the world, given what the how how variable the weather can be or how hot the weather can be, that's that's always a concern. But it, I think what happened in Beijing a few years ago was was just an aberration. I hope it's an aberration anyway. Um, I mean, the weird thing is is that when United tried to have their own version of the Amsterdam tournament or the Audi Cup, which was known as I think the Vodafone Cup, two thousand four. A match was abandoned because of a storm yeah. in Manchester. So maybe preseason's cursed. Maybe, maybe lightning <laughs> will strike twice again. But uh, as I say I've not checked the weather forecast. But I suppose with the humidity out here, there's always a chance that a storm could, you know, could brew, could, could brew and and cause us uh, much dismay. But it seems like it will be okay. Yeah, well, I was going to do some awful link about storms brewing in Gareth Bale, but we've got, that's not even the next question. Oh. <laughs> but uh, the next question is just going to be on the match against Spurs. What, what are you expecting in terms of a test for United? I know that Spurs played maybe a weaker side than United have been playing when they started off against Juventus, at least. Um, it's going to be difficult to see, but it's a real sort of it is a sort of good benchmark for United to see just how they do compare to Spurs, whether it is a weakened side or not on Thursday night. It is. I wouldn't expect him, given the way he's he's gone about it in the last two games, to play a completely weakened side yeah. or a, a team that just looks like a, a Carabao Cup side I'd expect it to be a little bit like it was against Inter where the the, the basis of this first 11 that he's clearly trying to settle on starts and then come the hour mark he, he might make a lot more changes or some players will get up to 70 minutes um, just to keep on you know building up their match fitness as I said I think it could be a I hope it's a good game I think it's, it's against two teams who in Tottenham's case they've they've been renowned for intense football for a number of years now United are trying to get to that level now they've been doing an awful lot of fitness work to get to that level there's all Sean was telling us about the new Man United he was talking about the new style of play um, playing out from the back just kind of going in depth into what idealistically they want to do yeah, this well, season that was the first time someone's like, officially said yeah from the back, and, and De Gea was singing from the same hymn sheet saying the, the same thing as well and I thought it was quite it was quite notable against Inter that there was one attack that was started in the first half it was quite early on where De Gea pinged the ball out to Wan-Bissaka and he didn't have a long he must have had about two seconds before he was under pressure but he took the ball down his chest shifted inside played it and United saw on their way and they t- went from defence to attack very, very quickly. And it's not really something you associate with them. And that whole, the whole not sweeper-keeper, but certainly keepers playing an active role in attacks, De Gea's not really done that at all. Um, but So maybe now he's a, he's come to this stage now where he's had a bad, he had a bad end towards yeah. last season, but he's committed to United. He, he will sign that contract. And he's in the process now of of enhancing his game to incorporate this this ball playing distribution into it because the irony is when United signed him they they were so struck they found his kicking to be so similar to Van der Sar's that 
they thought, okay, that that's a that's a natural younger replacement for him. But the game has changed so much within just eight years that goalkeepers are now expected to be playing all site yeah. all, all types of passes to engineer attacks, whether it's short passes, um, passes. You know, well, like Edison, we talked about Edison getting assists and yeah, things like Edison, that. Edison and Allison were compared for who has the most assists last season at one point. Yeah, like, and, and in fairness, and in fairness. Van der Sar did get yeah. assists for United as well. Um, I remember one goal against Aston Villa where I think he takes a quick free kick because he can notice yeah. Rooney's making a run. He pings a ball about 60 or 70 yards and it ends up in the back of the net. And I think he won, Rooney won a penalty once from a, a Van der Sar free kick from a similar territory against uh, Spurs. Now that's knowledge. FA, FA Cup <laughs> 2008, yeah. I think it was the fourth round. I know, I know. Um <laughs> So it, it has been done before, but it, it feels as though maybe it's maybe it's social media, maybe it's the fawning around yeah. the city and Liverpool as well that has kind of augmented Edison's and Allison's reputations. But they are exceptional goalkeepers, and I think they have taken the uh, attacking approach to to a different level, even though at times they can look a little bit stupid. Yeah. Um, next question is just just titled United's style of play. Um, what, what have you made of it this prison is do you think I mean I guess the thing the issue last season for me anyway was the fact that you couldn't tell what United were trying to do sometimes on the pitch you just didn't know what maybe their game plan yeah. was now it seems a bit seems more specific there seems to be areas like you said that are more drilled seems to be maybe faster interchanges still looking to get on the break it's maybe concerning even against Leeds how much they relied on the counter attack to still break teams down and they had a lot of joy of it against Inter as well but the high press and the fluid front three is, is working well and there's certainly signs of promise under Solskjaer that, that he is finally getting his ideas across to this, this set of players. They had become too reliable during his prolonged honeymoon period on, on the counter-attack. It, it claimed some impressive yeah. scalps, uh, Tottenham way, Arsenal way, Chelsea way, Paris Saint-Germain away. But as soon as they were rumbled, they didn't have an alternative. And you noticed during the run-in that Solskjaer was experimenting with a lot of formations uh, and unsuccessfully as well. And they just did not... They were unable to master a, a controlled style of football. And I think that's what they're trying to do now. And that's that's what De Gea said as well and what Shaw has said, that they want to control um, games more, more possession-based football, but doing it with pressing... Um, and aggression and a high tempo. Pogba's key to that in that he is playing a deeper role and he's arguably got more more freedom there as opposed to playing on the left of a midfield three, which has been the misconception for many years as well. You should only play him there. He can only mm. play well there, even though he played well winning the World Cup with France in a midfield two with Conte. So the way you look at it is that at the moment... They've got a front four. They've got the full-backs bombing forward. So you've got six players attacking mm. consistently. And Pogba's got the licence to either make a belated burst into the area and, and help out, or you could hang back, recycle the ball, start an attack again, or have a shot at goal. That That's the way you've got to look at it at the moment. And they have looked really good. Uh, and I know the opponents, are, there's so much mitigation with playing an A-League side, a Championship side, an undercooked Champions League team as well. But you can only go off from what you're seeing. And United have been really impressive. And that the intent, what they want to do, I think it's completely laudable. They should have been doing it 
years ago, but different managers have different approaches. And I include Ferguson in that as yeah. well because the, the whole pressing was pressing has existed going back decades, but Guardiola's Barcelona turned it up to eleven, and a lot of teams just didn't match it. And United under Ferguson in in those last those years. last five years, their pressing was non-existent. Yeah. It, it was I'm it was visibly really bad. Remember just seeing them stood off. They couldn't. They couldn't do it. The they didn't. They, they didn't just... have the players to do it because he refused to sign midfielders, yeah. which he'll never explain. Um, he he had a blind spot for Skull's character. I think you you try and join the dots and you try and analyse things Ferguson said about midfielders in his last years. And I think at one point he said we never played with a holding midfielder, which was I'm sure Ash can bleep this out, but it was bollocks. Yeah. They did. They yeah. did so many times. Keane did after his injury in 2002. Um, Paul Lintz played there. All sorts of players have played there. Uh, Michael Carrick was another one. But yeah. it was almost like he saw what Xavi and Iniesta were doing and Busquets, and he thought this controlling style, that's what we have to do. So I'm going to stick with Skulls and Carrick. The trouble is Skulls was well into his 30s, and although he had the odd purple patch and he could still turn it on he was never going to get to the level of Xavi and Iniesta I think Carrick could have been I sound like Alan Partridge <laughs> but he could have been the player Tony Cruz was but I think there were times where he did play too much within himself Yeah. Um, and Ferguson just didn't He, he they, they were allowed to get complacent there and there wasn't an awful lot of competition you try and ask them about it I tried to ask Carrick about it whether he was mystified that they didn't sign yeah. midfielders in his last years and he'd say about the competition about having Giggsy and Fletch and you think come on cleverly Gibson yeah yeah so this isn't it's 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 com- it's complete nonsense so they didn't have the players to press then Moyes comes in and is all about running but isn't a coach who should ever have been Manchester United manager so he goes out the door Van Gaal comes in and it's possession, yeah. but it's possession in the most Monday. soporific way. Mourinho, it, it's not so much about possession, it's more about power players, win at um, all costs, pragmatism. So they've not, it's taken them, startling as it sounds, it's taken them 11 years from seeing what Barcelona are doing uh, in, in their revolutionary season under Guardiola in 08 09 to decide why don't we try that now <laughs> now there's a lot of mitigation there again because United won a lot of things under Ferguson still they won three leagues yeah. but for a manager who's obsessed with winning the European Cup it, it 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 reflected horrendously on him that in that 2009 final where you thought they had a chance of beating Barcelona two years later in 2011 at Wembley you knew they didn't have a chance yeah. they were they were actually their, their preference they were Poor, they're, they're, <laughs> poorly are prepared no they were worse prepared to take on Barcelona two years later that suggests there was complacency yeah. that suggests that the Glazers had turned off the tap and Ferguson wasn't going to rock the boat either so you could write a book on it really just all that but that is the it's it's just kind of it's almost as if just speaking about this it now like it's come to you, us it? <laughs> it's it's almost like just come to us now it's like wow you don't have taken eleven years yeah. to think let's press let's uh, play with aggression let's just to let, catch up with modern football really yeah let's just let's updated. let's have quick players let's try and play out yeah. from the back and it um, seems like like you said it seems that even like every mid table team in the Prem has been doing this for three four years yeah 
Bournemouth, Bournemouth, Crystal Palace. I was about to say, Bournemouth in the first half at um, Dean Court, Vitality Stadium, whatever you call it, against United last season were exceptional. They absolutely steamrolled them. It's one of the worst... It was amazing that it ended 1-1 at half-time. It was one of the worst uh, first-half performances by United I've, I've seen. And I think most of them came last season, in fairness. After... After half time, United were pretty good at Bournemouth. But Bournemouth, in terms of what they were doing with the ball, the intensity, everything about it, and United at times just looked like, what the hell is this? And sometimes you have to look at the recruitment. United have probably had too many six foot plus players, too many power players. I think that was Mourinho didn't help himself there. That was the profile of play preferred. But in the modern game, I just think it's a little bit antiquated. And now with Daniel James, he's quick, small. Wambasaka, okay, probably about six foot, but he's quick. Yeah. And he's a modern fullback. You can see that. And he wants to become more attack minded. So they're heading in the right direction. It tests, of course, <coughs> do they carry it into the competitive season? Those first four games, I think the, the cutoff point when it comes to September internationals, you'll be able to know whether it's going to be a success or not. Yeah, we'll see. Like Solskjaer said, you can't win it in the first couple of weeks, but you can certainly you can lose, lose it. it. Yeah. Um, it'll also be interesting to see who leads United out on the opening day. Solskjaer said that he's going to make maybe his biggest, the serious decision after pre-season. And what do you know? David de Gea said that he'd quite like to have the arm. Yeah. I th- would Would you like to see David de Gea? Do you think he would be a good captain for United? Or do you think he is maybe a bit too, a bit too quiet? You, you expect that maybe his media duties as well would. He doesn't like dealing with the media, and it's before people jump to conclusions it's not British media either um, he, he prefers not to he, he just would prefers not to he I think there are a couple of instances in the past that have um, informed his his outlook on it one was the, the donut story in 2011 and the bad press he got from that he was quite young at the time quite sensitive um, he was having a rocky period at United it was an absolute baptism of fire so he wouldn't have appreciated that. And then there was the 2016 um, sex scandal story that came up in, in Spain as well, which he was completely acquitted of. Everything was fine, but... You lose your trust and you lose... Yeah, you, you don't, you're, you're less inclined to speak to reporters. But the strange thing is, is that when he does speak, he seems pretty good copy. What he said to the Singaporean reporters was interesting about the captaincy. Um, I think at a United sponsors event, a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago, he was doorstepped by Spanish reporters about his future. Wasn't a United PR officer in sight, <laughs> remarkably. And again, he gave he gave good copy. But at that event the other day that we were at, the, the Fullerton Bay Hotel in, in Singapore, um, it was like getting blood out of the stone yeah. for, to get him to talk. Um, at that fan event, at that Q&A, um, he just about mumbled that he'd been to Singapore on holiday. Yet then he went downstairs behind closed door and he gave that quote about wanting to be captain, which, again, I mean, it all all but confirmed that, that he is staying. Not that, I mean, we knew that already, but I, I could see the sense in it. I think you've seen this century, Buffon and Casillas have, have, yeah, have captained successful teams. Um, Yoris to a much lesser extent yeah, won the World even Cup. though he was... was I mean, was he the World Cup captain <coughs> yes, for France? I don't yeah. remember ever seeing him do the... The trophy lifts. I think there was, I think there was two or three players who did it as they lifted it. But certainly, 
They all missed up you'd, the you'd have probably said he was the weak link <coughs> in that that French yeah. team as well, probably along with Giroud. Um, but there has been a tendency in this century to make <clears throat> the goalkeeper captain, and sometimes I certainly think in 2012 sounds a bit ridiculous now, but I think in 2012 Joe Hart would have been a good choice for England in that it would have amid the hoopla over yeah, exactly. Terry being stripped for captaincy, the Fernand thing going on. Um, it would have completely, you know, Unified. the significance of it would have subs- would have subsided, and people don't get people don't get um, antsy about it anymore. With United, I-, I can see some sense in in giving it to De Gea, but I guess what United need to do is bring back the importance of the armband, don't they? Because the fact that they've had the last couple of seasons, they've had maybe that would that would be the argument. Solskjaer always says you need this Brian Robson figure, you need someone on the pitch who's going to galvanise the team when they need it. But I don't think there's a player on the who pitch can who can do it. I think there's someone who can do it, but I don't think he should get it because he wants to leave every five minutes, even though he's playing very well at the moment. Um, so De Gea would kind of be logical in the in the sense that he's been there, I think he's probably the fourth longest servant in that squad, technically, behind uh, the Holy Trinity of Smalling, Jones and Young. <laughs> um so there, there would be some sense in in giving it to him, but I think I think in in Britain there's this perception that the the captain has to be a defender or a, or a midfielder. Um, sometimes it's worked as a striker with with Shearer at Newcastle. He he springs to mind. But he but was the whole team. Yeah, yeah. He was he was, he was a he was the Geordie who'd been on the the, the Gallagher and all that. So it, it made sense to give it to him. And United have given it to Gary Neville. They've Ryan Giggs has, has worn it as well. But I suppose after the disaster of Antonio Valencia's captaincy tenure last year, it would be logical to move it on to more of an extrovert on the pitch rather yeah. than giving it to another Spanish speaker who really doesn't say an awful lot. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all uh, comes about. Uh, penultimate bullet point here is the coaching changes that you know, they've confirmed over Christ, you, You've not mentioned signings all this way. Wait to the last. Uh, one. <laughs> Wait to the last. Best, one. best to yeah. last. Well, the tease Gareth Bale's will be part of it. Don't you worry. Right, about that. great. But um, yeah, the coaching changes, which hopefully dropped while we were all asleep here in a in Shanghai. But I yeah. was, I was, I was awake still for that. But yeah, you, you I had think the retired at that you, point. Yeah, yes, was, the majority. I was, I was think very sleepy. Yeah. yeah, as the listeners quite tell, my throat has been very bad, and that's not because I've been misbehaving. That's just <laughs> travel flu when you're on the airplane and the air condition floats all about. But yeah. Like you said, I think it's about 1am here. United confirmed that they've had a, a change made to their coaching setup. Um, what is what is the deal of all that? And how does that affect the actual United fans? Like what what does it mean for, for them? Right, I'm going to I'm going to read something out now because I think it will be easier just reading something out. Um, we can do some filler. Right. This is kind. Of, this will sound a bit bullet pointed, but anyway, so. It says football technical board is a Premier League requirement. Yeah. Quarterly meeting of key coaches and senior staff from the academy with the manager and others from the first team group is required. Is this a new, is this a new initiative then, or is this something that's always been there? To be honest, I don't know, <laughs> and I don't really care that much yeah. about it either. Um, uh, forum to discuss players coming through, development of players for the different age groups. But the the bigger headline of well, it's not much of a headline, is that. They're going through a restructure process, and that's that does seem like it's from top to bottom because the academy is 
you know, it's, it's still going through that, even though the academy in recent years there seems to have been a bit of a, you know, it's, it's recovering after really just being Neglected, left by yeah. the by wayside, being allowed to to rot. Which really, I, think, I think I don't even think it's that it's makes Mason so. Greenwood's develop it. It does, and 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 in fairness, with to, in fairness, United have had players coming out of the academy and still yeah. doing well in the first team, and it's masked the problems that have have been there at that stage. But Nicky Butt has now inherited a role where effectively he's going to be working, United tell us anyway, with select youngsters who they feel can make that jump from the the academy to the first team. So if you're someone like, I know if, if, if they had made this appointment last year and you were, let me think, Callum Whelan, yeah. you're not going to be working with Nicky Butt because you're not good enough and you're going to be released in the summer. Because it's the ones but who... if you're Mason Greenwood, you are going to be working with Nicky Butt because they think the world of you and they think you can be a future Man United first teamer. So I know it, it risks kind of alienating an awful lot of players there, but also it, it arguably acts as an incentive for those players to get up to speed so they can have that face time with Butt, with the prospects of forcing their way into the first team. Um, it, it, it's strange how it works sometimes. Well, not strange as such, but it, it can be demoralising. When I was speaking to an agent earlier in the summer, who told me that he was in the process of getting an exciting academy player at United, but he had dropped another academy player at United because the agency just wants to deal with players who they think have got a real chance of making it. So, young players go through these knockbacks all the time, and it's it's up to them to either you know respond in a positive way and try and say I'm going to show you, or they just get comfortable and they enjoy the trappings of being a United Academy player on a very good wage, and they try to um, try to make as much money as as possible in in the meantime until they're finally released. But with this, I don't th- I don't think it's that significant role a role for but that some of the guys were wondering. Is the technical director search over? I, I never th- looked at it that way, and it isn't. Yes. But they are still going to appoint a technical director. I'll, I'll get onto that in a moment. But Nick Cox is the new academy head. He's replaced Nicky Butt. He's going to be working closely with Nicky Butt still. Um, and they will be reporting to, I think, John Murta, who's the head of football development, is his title. But it does still seem aligned with some of the first team coaching um, changes or arrivals because there was a mention of them working with the sports science department the sports science department obviously heavily involved in monitoring what's going on in the first team pre-season improving their intensity levels the speed levels the feature was done on on the MEN the other night if, if people want to read it or have read it it's, it goes into a, a fair amount of detail on how United have tried to get players into a physical shape that they, yeah. so they're ready for this new style of play because they realised, I think the telltale sign was certainly in February when in, against Paris Saint-Germain, Lingard and Marshall got injured in the first half and then the Liverpool game when three players were substituted in the first half. And the one who went down first didn't have to play a full game, which was rash, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, that was the telltale sign that they'd knackered them. they were knackering them out and they were going to be running on empty and then, of course, they have an awful running. So they are, they're in the process of addressing that and from watching them in the pre-season games, the, the results are impressive, not just the actual scorelines, but 
the, the player performances. So the restructuring continues, but the main one that everybody wants to know about is when the hell are they going to appoint a technical director? They outlined their intention to do that on the day Mourinho got sacked. That's what, seven months ago, um, they, they, United told us in March, late March, that they hoped to have one installed uh, before the start of the new season. There were 16 days as we sit here speaking until the start of the new season and United's priority, of course, is to make two more signings. So it would be ironic to appoint a technical director and not get two priority targets when the technical director's remit is obviously to help with, with player recruitment. From what I was told is that this technical director would oversee an advisory panel likely made up of former players who would identify um, prospective signings, uh, make decisions on current players' futures, whether do they get a yeah. new contract, do they not, which is sensible. But I think what I was told anyway was that because it's set up that way, the technical director, after he gathers all that information, he would then report to Ed Woodward and Matt Judge and the final decision rests with them. Yeah. So... Ed Woodward would not be, you know, it's, he his he power is still intact. Yeah. He he still has final say, and I think that's probably why an awful lot of very well qualified technical directors who would like to be to assume that role at Manchester United are put off by it because they do not have the autonomy that they would at another club. Yeah, so that's why that's partly why one it's taken it's taken them so long to nail down a credible candidate. I say that not knowing who the technical director is going to be, that the technical director might be a, a creditable candidate eventually. Um, but it, it, it is a slight worry when it's taking this this long and you're looking at certain people who might already be attached to the club who could eventually assume that role. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see how that all develops, like you said. Even if they do come in, too late for them to maybe make an impact this summer on, on what actually happens at United. Oh yeah, that, we knew that in March. Yeah. though. when you're talking about hopeful of getting them in by the start of the season, you ha- know at that point they're not going to be in. That I said at the time, I think that they should have appointed a technical director before the next permanent manager. Yeah, and so then that it, then that guy could say, I mean, the technical director, <coughs> his role certainly at Manchester United anyway, should be that of a pessimist, and yeah. I don't mean that as a negative i.e. someone who says, amid the positivity of PSG, they wake up the next morning right. and they say, look, okay, yeah, it's going great, but just hold it off until the end of the season on the manager. Don't do it. But of course, there's not a technical director there and what happens? They appoint the manager and it might be the right decision, might be the wrong decision, but it's fair to say that it was the wrong decision at the time because look at what happened with the results after that. Um, so yeah but there's still not a technical director so you still got as I said the University of Bristol economic uh, ec- economics graduates um, being the kingmakers at a football club who would have thought they would have got that when they went to their, their freshers fair <laughs> I wonder if that was promised to them in their pack who knows uh, we'll wait and see what happens though but as you mentioned that brings us nicely onto the, the final talking point it is transfers you said United want to get two more before the end of the window time is ticking down what is the latest for Manchester United? They're still interested in Harry Maguire. They're still interested maybe in Sean, Long- Sean Longstaff. Still, 
valuations aren't being met though from, from both parties something's got to give what do you think is going to happen Samuel in these last two weeks and a bit before that window slams well, shut well I think two weeks running we've been on tour now and there have been we might as Harry well Maguire £80 million pound, um, one was a story saying that he was going to have a medical the next day he didn't he's still a Leicester player he's playing for Leicester there was a strangely worded tweet yesterday that said Manchester United agreeing 80 million deal with Harry Maguire. Now you could be agreeing a deal with Harry Maguire and Leicester next week or the week after, but the fact is the, the tweet was was false. Yeah, they're not in the process of agreeing it. They're continuing talks. That that's been the case for uh, an inordinate amount of time. So. There's no, they're no closer to any breakthrough. I still wouldn't be surprised if it did happen, because United have got to make make signings. I, whether look, I, I don't think Maguire is ideal for United. I, I, I think he has merits. I can see why United like him. I can see why Solskjaer and Phelan want him. Um, Mourinho liked him last year. I can see why. They're going for him. Manchester City like him. That's kind of seen as a ring and endorsement. Worked so well with Fred. But but in all seriousness, I could see why. But from a purely personal perspective, I would still say take a punt on £25 million Toby Alderweireld rather than possibly an £80 million Harry Maguire. Why Why pay triple and a bit more? Maguire. But but it could work out, and I think with United <clears throat> wanting to play out from the back, it, it you know it's interesting Six, that they want two ball playing centre backs because it'd be Maguire and Lindelof. So the days when it was silk and steel, it's kind of like United are, are happy to abandon that to go with two. Yeah, that it's it's like you know Stan Vidic. It's not Stan Vidic, but um, Fernand Vidic, Bruce yeah. Pallister. That they're, they're moving away from that that template, which is. You know, it's an interesting outlook. It's an interesting strategy. Uh, so obviously, it, it is Maguire, but they they need to have a fullback target if if that comes to naught. Um, Koulibaly's been a player of interest, but there's not been any movement there, any concrete movement anyway, and he's played at the Afcon, so it, it's not an ideal time to recruit um, to recruit him even though there'll be a lot of United players say I don't care I want Koulibaly because he's he's great but they, they've obviously prioritised Maguire and as I said I, I just think that if if that by by having that £70 million bid rejected there's got to be a willingness to, to go north of that and to go north of the £75 million kind of like the, the threshold if you like which would make him the, 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 world, the most expensive defender, defender. but they are—I think—they are clearly prepared to do that. But yeah. it might be a case of negotiating add-ons or what have you. I don't know. And also, they need to shift a defender as well. And I think that—that that, is—it's an easy thing to overlook, but it did partially prevent them or stop them from signing a centre back last summer because they were trying to get rid of Rojo. They didn't. I don't think it. I think they should have just signed a defender anyway, whether they were saddled with Rojo or not. But yeah. It's besides the point. So, or maybe just don't offer these defenders new long-term contracts. That uh, well, yeah, exactly. They, they, they are their worst. They are their own different. worst. They are their own worst enemy um, with with these things. And let's face it. I mean, Leicester. Do, do they really want to take? Would, hypothetically, would they want Phil Jones and, and Johnny Evans' partnership yeah. when they didn't? 
they didn't do it at United. It's it, it's kind of an admission of defeat. And, and Leicester, I think, you look at their team, there were probably five players in that Leicester team who would improve United's first eleven. Yeah. Um they they really need to be of the mindset that we're we're chopping away at United's heels here. Um we we, we we've got a chance of possibly um supplanting them in, in the table. But the fact that Rogers said that they'd had two bids for him, and as far as everyone is aware, it's only been one bid, that suggests they are absolutely willing to sell him. It's, it was almost as if like he was trying to whip up an auction to get more money out of United. Because which... Leicester have said that they've got a deadline on it, haven't they? They've yeah, they but got let's face it, if United months. come in on the, the, the Monday, like three days before deadline yeah. day, and offer them £80 million, pounds, I, I suspect they would accept that. Yeah. They would take the high ground then, are they? Yeah, so exactly. Well, you're, I think a lot of managers have um, put their foot in their mouth over... Transfers. I think Chris Coleman once said, "Louis Saha leaves over my dead body," and obviously he did go to United in two thousand and four. <laughs> and and Coleman later said that was something he he learned from. He, he you know he was, he was trying to be really you know aggressive like the big man. He's not going anywhere. And of course Saha did go to United. So Maguire's being prioritised. United are still in for Longstaff. They're not going to spend £50 million on Sean Longstaff. Newcastle have quoted them that, but let's face it, if Newcastle got £35 million, £40 million for him, they'd probably sell him. Um, because yeah, that's, that's an awful played, lot of money for a player who's who's played not even half a season, made his debut in December, yeah. got injured in March, played nine Premier League games, I think it is. Um, it, there's all there's, there's an all, awful lot of posturing that goes on Um with, with these matters but I, I do think again I think the problem with Alderweireld is that if United signed him they do look like world champion hypocrites because it's all about shying away from Mourinho's short term strategy um, he, he wanted like late 20 something established players um, who, who weren't going to be around for very long we want the long term and obviously Alderweireld is 30 and was wanted by Mourinho last year. But I still think that Alderweireld is a better defender than Maguire. Yeah, and, and if, this... you buy, if you buy Alderweireld, you need two years. You might be a quick fix, but you only need for two, three years. And you got and he, he, he could, I think if they'd signed Alderweireld last year, they'd have gotten top four. Yeah. I really do. Um, and he is quality. And Simon Peach, he even said himself, you know, massive, massive Southampton fan, he said that the best centre-back at Southampton in the last five, five years was not Van Dijk, it was Alderweireld. I know Alderweireld was only there for a season. Oh, that's but... against Maya Yoshida as well. And yeah. yeah. Ender Stevens and Jose Font, Some... European Championship yeah. winner Jose Font, Champions League winner they Dejan Lovren. Yeah. So... Well, best defender in the world, isn't he? Is that what you said? He's one of the top five, isn't it? Yeah. D- d- delusion <laughs> is um, is easy to, uh, to contract on Merseyside. It, it, I think you, I think everyone's found. So I, I'd still go for Alderweireld, but obviously he's really not... He's not in the picture whatsoever yeah. for United, um, which I think well, a lot of fans are, are disappointed about. But and his release clause expires on, on Thursday, the day United not, play... Yeah. Play it's, like it's, it's almost like it's a great. It has got the makings of a great story, but I don't think there's going to be a story there. He he was asked about his um his future in the in the mix zone after the game in in uh, in Singapore when when Juventus play him because I think there has been some interest in Italy for for, Mal, for, for Alderweireld, but as soon as 
as soon as that release clause goes, his valuation is is back up, even yeah. though he's only got a year left in yeah. his contract. It's not like United to a not pay a transfer release clause. And then just I know. Buy well, that's after anyway, that's the it? thing. You know, Fred and Dallo were release clause buyers last year. Um, Fellaini, I, I suppose. Buy, yeah, pay. I suppose from um, from Spurs, certainly for well, specifically from Daniel Levy's perspective. He will not be happy if Christian Eriksen and Toby Alderweireld leave the club on free transfers yeah. next summer. We will wait and see. Um, should we say Gareth Bale? We're in China, so it seems relevant. <laughs> Gareth Bale's not coming to United, is he? No, he isn't. Okay. No. Just like that, right? I know you'd like him at United, but I'd love him at United. I just want to see him playing football on TV. I can watch. For I, a I did. I did. I did like Andros Townsend's tweet you know, about the streets, the streets won't forget, and it was a picture of his goal against Liverpool, his goal against uh, Atletico, Atletico and, the final, and then the, and goal the against Barca, the Copa del Rey yeah. final, which was a Extraordinary. I was looking well. through his YouTube, like a YouTube of Bale's 30 best goals, and some of them just ridiculous. The one against Legia Warsaw, which is a volley from like 30 yards, first time to the top corner. Just someone save him, please. And I China's been nice, but can, well, can you imagine uh, the, the man who can barely string a sentence in Spanish? Can you yeah. imagine him in China? I mean, it's it's quite embarrassing. United said to us in March when we were specifically asked about Bale, yeah. the quote that was given that was that you can put him low down on your list. And a lot of us were... Really, Depends how long your list is, I guess. Yeah, a lot of us thought, if it came to deadline day and he was still marooned at Madrid and Perez called Woodward and said, you've not got a right winger still, we'll let you have him for for free yeah. or like on a two-season loan deal with an obligation to buy for £20 million. Yeah. Pounds. We'll pay 70% of the wages. We take it. I think United would. Yeah. But, so, we. I've been very careful in terms of the wording of it, I've never said that United will not sign him up until the other day where obviously he is on the brink of leaving Madrid now and United have made it absolutely abundantly clear that they are not in for him. So if I wake up tomorrow morning and see Gareth Bale here in Shanghai shaking hands with Solskjaer, it's going to come as a... as a Well, it still wouldn't come as a surprise. That's no, the weird thing. Because that's... United... Uh, that, that's just United, that's the way it goes. But that would be a massive, very drastic U-turn. We shall see. Who knows? I'll keep my fingers crossed. <laughs> I just want Bale back home. In North Wales, ideally, it would be nice, but uh, not many. I mean, Conor's Key are doing well in Europa League. They've got a partisan Belgrade on Thursday night as well, but we'll be here Thursday night against Tottenham Hotspur. Samuel, thank you very much for joining us. That's all, thank We will you. be back again next week when we're back in the mild Manchester air United play against Christiansons next Tuesday night as well um, what will be their fifth pre-season friendly before they actually go to South Wales to face uh, AC Milan at the Principality Stadium a week on Saturday thank you very much for joining us this week on the Manchester Red podcast please do leave a like and subscribe and see you again next time